Good evening. Um, can we give it up for the band just real quick? Um, they, uh, they didn't get a sound check earlier, and I was in here earlier. Um, and Ian sounded like T-Pain for a little while. Uh, I, I don't know who T-Pain is. Someone said it, and a bunch of people laughed, so I thought it would be funny, too. Um, but, but yeah, so if, if the sound goes haywire while I'm talking, just know the Lord was saving you from something. I don't know what, but yeah. Um, but tonight, uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses uh, 14 through 21. Uh, my name is Kerry. Uh, I'm, I'm, also, I'm apparently the guy that doesn't know when the trip is that I'm leading. Um, and I'm also the engineer, so that means a slideshow for tonight, because um, I like structure. Yeah. Um, so uh, so the, as we're finishing out our semester, we're going through means of grace. Um, and so two weeks ago, Kevin um, opened us up by teaching about scripture and prayer and what that means. Um, and last week, Riley apparently gave an infamous uh, talk on worship. Um, so the last week, did Riley mention we were going to get six packs in heaven? Was that a thing? I hope so. Because uh, that would also be sweet. I wasn't here last week, so I just, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but so this, this just kind of refresh what means of grace means and what we're going through is pointing us towards, I just want to refresh what that means. Um, so two weeks ago, Kevin kind of gave this analogy of a window, which I really, really loved, right? Um, means of grace are like a window. Um, oftentimes people call them spiritual disciplines. Or people call them habits of the Christian life. But I really like habits of grace um, because in and of themselves, they are a grace, the fact that we can even have scripture to know who God is, the fact we can even have prayer to talk to the Holy of Holies, the fact that we can even come and worship him for the worship that he deserves is in and of itself a grace. And so when we think about a window, right, like there's a couple windows around, um, they're not really supposed to be there. A wall is supposed to be there. But God has, like, in this wall, like a window is now there, and God has given us in that way a window into him. And so often, we like to look at the window instead of through the window. Kevin quoted this earlier. Um, and, and man, what, what a beautiful picture of how often we like to read Scripture to read Scripture. Or we like to pray to say that we prayed. Um, and so tonight, I'm going to be talking about witnessing. Um, and, and I've kind of labeled it theology and action. Um, and to kind of talk about means of grace and, and what they mean, uh, I thought a perfect example of this would be Colossians 1.14, right? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The means of grace are a way for us to confirm and to know that we belong to the kingdom of the beloved son. Because we are gazing at him, we are being encouraged, we are loving him deeper because we are doing these things and, and, and we're loving him because of these things. Right? Because again, the things of themselves are a grace to point us towards Christ and to know Christ and to love Christ. And so as we do them, the, the citizenship and the relationship we have on this earth is broken. Slowly by slowly, the more and more we do these means of grace more and more, rightly, gazing and looking upon Jesus. Um, and he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Um, and so my hope tonight, as we talk about witnessing, as we talk about 
what it means to share the gospel, about what it means to bear witness to God, how sinful people like us can bear witness to a holy God. I don't know. How, how the finite can speak of the infinite. Man, uh, what I want more than anything is for your guys' hearts to be warmed, to hear the gospel and to gaze upon Jesus' face. Because ultimately what we'll see from this passage is what we think about God and what we think about ourselves determines what we do. And so if we are captivated and, and truly, as we'll see, consumed by God's love, we can't help but bear witness to him and share the gospel. And the means in and of itself is to love God more. It's a cycle. So we're going to see that. And um, there's this really good quote that I, that I thought was just way too good to not share before we got started. Um, it, it was in this book that Kevin referenced also uh, from James K. Smith, You Are What You Love. I recommend. Um, he says, how do you make seamen work tirelessly to build a boat? You don't give them tools and a picture of a boat. No, you teach them to long for the sea and the adventures that come with it. I don't want you guys to come out of here being like, I can share the gospel better. I don't want you guys to come out of here being like, I have to share the gospel every week. I want you guys to come out of here loving Jesus more, hating your sin more, and wondering how a holy, glorious God wants to save and love me. Right? I, I don't want to give you the tools. I want to give you the adventure and the gospel. So with that being said, uh, if you're already there, hopefully 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21, um, we're going to read that. Um, yeah, yeah. So starting in verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Some of your translations might say compels or consumes us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ his Son reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation or his appeal through us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you, how you have first loved us, Lord, we praise you about how you've invited us into the work that you are doing on this world. Lord, we praise you as we will see that the way you, you want a broken, hurting world to know you is through us, sinful, selfish, prideful people. 
And Lord, there's, there's so much here that we can dive into and unpack. And Lord, I know I'll forget things or say something wrong. But Lord, what, what your text shows us, especially in this, is that all you do is, to call us, is you call us to love you and to be faithful. So Lord, I ask that you would just use me as a vessel and that we would just love you more and hate our sin more. Lord, you are good and you are great. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, sweet. So I picked this passage uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I love this passage. Uh, this passage is probably the single most pa- like impactful passage to me to share the gospel. It, has, it is what caused me to go from... Um, not being afraid of my unbelieving parents to loving them and chasing after them with Christ. Um, and so I, man, yeah, there, there, there is so much here that we can't unpack. We only have so little time because apparently tornadoes are coming. <laughs> um, but man, yeah, again, my, my, my heart for you guys is that your hearts would be warmed, 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 because with love, Christ born, just try and how do we begin to understand who Christ is and how can we love him more? Um, yeah, because again, ultimately what we, we think matters because it reflects on what we do and what we do fuels what we think. Um, so yeah, so point number one, um, or these are our four points for tonight. Uh, the love that consumes, uh, the reality that is, the responsibility we don't deserve, the encouragement to press on. I, I don't really rhyme, so I'm sorry if that really bugs you. And there's, they don't spell anything or so, yeah. Anyway, okay, so point number one, uh, the love that consumes. We see this in verses 14 through 15. Again, some of your translations say this word a little bit different, but I really love consumed. So verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So we see, to kind of kick off our our passage, is that Paul is concluding something. Like, he has gotten to an end point, right? And that end point is that, therefore, since one has died, all have died. That doesn't really sound like the gospel that we hear, right? Normally, it's like, because Jesus died, we now live, right? Or it's, man, because he's shown us grace, we no longer have to fear judgment. But no, what Paul says is, because one has died, the one has died, therefore all have died. And he goes on the next verse to clarify that he, being Jesus, died for all, is that those who live might no longer live for themselves. We don't live for ourselves anymore, but for Jesus. And so what Paul is, is, is unpacking for us and showing us is that what Jesus came to do was to undo the sin of, in our hearts, which is naturally inwardly focused towards us. Right? That is the conclusion. That is the gospel, is that we would no longer be inward-focused, but outward-focused. What we desire and what we want, we no longer want. We want what Jesus wants. So again, that's why we read Scripture. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. To have a better idea of who Jesus is, and then now being a part of what he wants to be, and loving what he wants to be. Um... And so Brian, this past Sunday, uh, said it way better than I, I could, right? That, that we are naturally selfish. We are naturally prideful. And that when we gaze upon Jesus for who he truly is, we become selfless. 
we become humble, right? And that's exactly what Paul is hitting on here toward, hitting on here too. And what's really, really great about this is that it's coming from a guy like Paul, who also said in 1 Timothy 1.15, if you want to jot that down, he says, this saying is trustworthy and true and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Right? We know Paul wrote literally half the New Testament. He's written so many letters to churches that are now inside of our Bible that we read to understand God and love Jesus more. And yet he is saying, I am the chief of sinners. So if what he's saying is true, that means the more we come to know Jesus, the more we love him and the more we realize our sin. So the more we know our sin, the more we now can love Jesus. And so that's the conclusion that Paul got to is, man, the, the more we, we come to love Jesus, the more we now become outwardly focused and not concerned about ourselves. And how did Paul get here, right? We, we don't get here overnight. We don't get to a place where we say, man, my life doesn't matter anymore. He got there by saying, for the love of Christ controls or compels or consumes us. And so for the next couple minutes, I just want to talk about this love that Jesus has for us. Before we get into the responsibility of sharing the gospel, before we get into you know, the reality that we now live in because of what Jesus did, I just want to talk about just the tangible love of Christ. We talked about it a little bit, or not a little bit, a lot of bit, over um, our uh, venture weekend. And, and our passage for that weekend, which I can't think of a better one, is 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And it says this, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Right? God is the essence of love. In verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, Jesus, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might, not live, so that we might live through him. We don't live through ourselves anymore. We're going to see why. And, and in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and his sin is son to the propitiation of our sins. Right? We didn't love the being that is love. <laughs> what does that say about us? Well, it means we're not love in, in, all, in kind of a way it says we're unlovable and scripture kind of says that about us. And yet God loved the unlovable. And so we see this quality of love right, that God made himself in our image, in our place to die for us, pay for our sins. But it's also more than that. That's, that's more than just what Paul was talking about. It's also the quantity of his love and the consistency of his love. The gospel is more than just an action and a hope we have, but it's how, how all of time God has been faithful. God all of time speaks of God's grace speaks of his love towards us. And so that's literally what I want to do in these next kind of subpoints is talk about the four kind of main aspects of the gospel. But how Paul understood this, and the beautiful thing about this too, is that we can be a six-month-old infant and understand this. Right? We just have to know the two words Jesus saves. But we can spend our entire lives studying this and still not yet know the depth and goodness of his love. But there are four main points in the gospel that I want to talk about that Paul understood and that he was pointing to in this 
and what makes being a witness so amazing <laughs> that we can even do that. And so the first sub-point that we have, or all four, is creation, redemption, restoration, um, or creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Oh, I forgot a big one. And so the first point is creation, all right? Um, and so in creation, what we understand about it, it teaches us three main things. It teaches us the who, who did creation. It teaches us the why, what was creation about, and the what, what did creation make? And so the first thing was the who, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Okay, so obviously, before time started or began, God. God was the one that brought nothing into something. God was the one that gave us life, that brought nothing life. <laughs> that gave trees the ability to do uh, photosynthesis, whatever it's called. <laughs> to have mountains and animals and plants and fruits. Right? God literally brought nothing into life. But more than that, it's not just that God did this, but what God, right? Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. John 1-1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 1-14, the Word became flesh. So we see that, that creation was by God, but more importantly, the, the triune God of the Bible teaches us a who. God is the one that did it. God is the one that initiated it. And that is the theme throughout all of time. It also teaches us a what. What was the point of creation? The point was us. Right? We've been going through Genesis, and, and Brian talked about this, again, way, way better, because he's, yeah, he's been doing this a lot longer than me. <laughs> and, and the what is us, right? Genesis 1, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are the what? We are the only creature that has the ability to, to reflect God. We are image bearers. And what do image bearers do? Well, we reflect an image. That's what, it, that's what an image does. It shows something and it reflects something. So our intended purpose was to reflect God, reflect a holy, just perfect, loving God throughout all of creation. Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What are you supposed to fill it with? Well, his image bears. And what do his image bears reflect? God. We were the original means to fill his entire creation with his goodness, his love, his patience, all the things we talked about in the fruit of the Spirit. Right? All the attributes of God. We were the intended vessels to begin with. And that's the why. Responsibility gives us a reason to be. And our responsibility was to reflect a holy God. And that was the positive, right? That was the positive being able to be with God. The, 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 the being that brought nothing into something and to give it life and purpose, the way we stay in there is by being fruitful and multiplying and not sinning, not doing what he doesn't want. And he only gave us one thing, right? Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, 
right? We are supposed to have no need, verse 17, but of the one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, you shall surely die. And what do we do? We did that. We're supposed to be good and do no bad, and we did no good and only did bad. And that leads us into our second point, the fall, right? We did what we wanted to do. That's what Adam did, and that's what we do now. We wanted to live in our own creation. And so naturally, in our own creation, we follow its natural ends, which is death, which is away from God. Because remember, God brought nothing into something and gave it life and purpose. So if we want to live in our own creation, I mean, the natural end is death, because we've got to get life from somewhere, and it's only from God. But we're now outside of God. Right? Romans 6.23. The wages of sin are death. That is what our natural end was. We were living in our own creation. We were doing what we wanted to do. We rebelled against God's original design and wanted to do our own design. Again, we're starting to see it again, right? We're, we're inwardly focused. That's our natural sinful heart. And again, Paul is talking about when, when we understand and know God's love, we, can't, we, we go back to our original state that God intended for us to be outwardly focused. Our life is worth nothing. Right, Genesis 3-7, this is where I get this idea of we, we thought we were doing what we wanted to do. When the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened, and, and again, Brian talked about this last Sunday, so I keep on quoting Brian. <laughs> uh, and they knew that they were naked. And so what they do, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. We thought that was the way to be good. This was our creation we wanted to be in, right? One of sin, not going towards God being full of shame. So again, we've fallen. We, we, we've gone outside of God's creation. Romans 3.23, that all of us have done this. Right? We are all naturally in this creation now. So now our natural end is death unless something changes. And that comes in the good news of, of redemption, my third point. Right? Again, nothing, nothing about this has really changed if if you're kind of keeping along with what I said earlier about verses 14 and 15. Christ died in our place because something had to pay for our sins. Again, I referenced Romans 6.23 earlier. The wages of sin are death. So something has to pay for that. And we know that God loves us so that he knew we could do nothing to change that. Because that means we would have to pay for it ourselves. So when Jesus came into this world, again, the infinite became finite among us for a while. The God that had no body had a body. He paid our penalty so that we wouldn't have to. So when we say we're putting our faith in Jesus, we're saying, Jesus, take my sin, pay for it for me. I am trusting that you did this when you died on the cross and you rose again. And not only that, I'm trusting that you did the good for me. I didn't, we didn't be fruitful and multiply in the beginning, but now you, you fulfilled the law. You did what God wanted us to do. And so now you have taken all my bad and given me all your good. And that's what it means when we say we have faith in Jesus. But even better than that, right, this, this verse 14 also hints at this. We are now united with Jesus. Right? Verse 14, therefore one has died, though therefore one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
So what that means is where Jesus goes, we go when we put our faith in him. When he's coming back, we're going with him. We are united with him. So when he dies, we die. When he's resurrected, we're resurrected. When he conquers sin, we conquer sin. And when he's glorified over all creation, we are glorified over all creation because we are with Christ. We follow Christ. And what love is this, <laughs> right? We abandoned what we were supposed to do, bear witness to a holy God in the beginning. And now we wanted to live in our own creation because we were sinners and we wanted to be gods of our own worlds. But God, in his love, sent his son to not only bear in our place, pay for our sin, but also give us his good works. And not only that, be united with us. 1 Corinthians 3.23 puts it like this. And you are Christ. And Christ is God's. Man, what love is this? Hmm. This leads into the last point of restoration, right? Where we have a hope that one day there will no longer be any sin. Yes, we're united with Christ now, but we have a hope. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old or former things has passed away. Right? One day Christ will reign victorious fully and has, but now in all of his creation there will no longer be sin. But the beautiful thing about the hope we have to come is that we are living it right now. In a way. If you read one verse after Revelation 21.4, in verse 5, it says this. It says, He, being Jesus, who was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That sounds kind of familiar from something we just read. Right? You jump a little bit down in our passage of verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We'll unpack that later, but, but the point I'm trying to make is that that kingdom we were talking about earlier and that hope that we have in the future are the same kingdom. And so right now, now that we are united with Christ, we have these means of grace to now know him better, to point our hearts away from ourselves and onto Christ, and we can grow in that, right? His kingdoms, like, if you guys are any math people like me, um, like, if we have an end point and we have that something's in motion, that means at some point there has to be growth to get to that point, right? <laughs> Tracking with me? Like, if we start here with no kingdom, end here with kingdom, and we're somewhere in the middle, that means at some point we have to get to the kingdom, so what does that mean for us? That means we are to push forth his kingdom. We are to push forth, right, the hope that we have. And we are a part of this kingdom now, and we will forever be, because we are trusting in Jesus, and we are now with Jesus. Paul put it beautifully like this in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter what happened, he's a part of the kingdom, so why does he care? This life is not his own. 
Again, this is the love that compels, controls, consumes us after Jesus to bear witness to him. Hmm. Okay, so now this moves into my second point in verses 16 through 17. The reality that now is. Right? We, we now have understood what, what it means to get to this conclusion that this life is now my own because God loves me. Okay? So now how does this actually change for me right here, right now? Right? Verses 16 through 17 say this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once even regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Yeah, the oldest passed away, behold, the newest come. Okay, sorry. There was like a little italicized thing. Threw me off. Um, <laughs> so this changes us in two main specific ways. Obviously in a bunch of other ways, but these two specifically, these verses talk about. Is in one, in verse 16, how we view others. We regard no one according to the flesh. And then in the second way, how we view ourselves. We are a new creation, right? So the love has concluded us that our life is not our own. Verses 16 says we now view others in this way, and verse 17 says we now view ourselves in this way. So what does it mean that we regard no one according to the flesh anymore? Well, what that means is that now our relationships aren't based on transactions. (laughs) We don't judge people on what they can do. We judge them based off of who Jesus says they are. Right? And all people are made in God's image. So that makes them of infinite worth. So when we share the gospel with people, right, we, we live in this. This is what we view and hear now. Their story is captivating to us because it is a story God is writing. My mom always said this kind of, you know, I don't know, proverb, southern proverb, I don't know that we have two ears and one mouth. We should probably use them in that proportion. (laughs) And so often, as believers, when we go out and share the gospel, it's like, hey, let me me, me tell you about what I believe. Let 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 me tell you about the God that I serve, which is great and fine. But I think what Paul is trying to say here is that we love people because they are people, not objects to be saved, That's something to hang on our Christian belt. But because they are of infinite worth and their story is worthy to be heard. Doesn't mean you should believe their story, right? If they're a Muslim or a Hindu. But man, that is a story that God is writing. That is a story that God cares about. So we should care about it. Hmm. And again, if if our relationship is no longer transactional, if it's based on what God says they are, what other people are, including brothers and sisters in Christ, that means whatever they do can't hurt us. (laughs) If they're mean to us, they call us names, like Riley does to me sometimes, because I I effervesce a lot. You know what that means? Look it up. Um, I don't think anyone knows what that means. Okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. 
Or if someone's really kind to me, makes me laugh. I don't idolize them. I don't put them in a higher pedestal. I love them. Right? No matter what happens, I love people more because I'm doing life with people. Philippians 1.9, Paul says it like this. For it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment slash depth of insight in some translations. Right? So as we know people more, whether through good or bad, or even neutral, we love them more. That's what the gospel now gives us the ability to do. So my friend who I argue with all the time, who isn't a believer, I love him more because of that argument. The older man that's discipling me, or older woman, I don't idolize them more, I love them more. Because I know them better. Right? So that's the reality that we live in, is that we, we now see people based on what God says about them, not about what they can do for me. Their worth is not in what they do, but in who God says they are. And so then the second point of how this changes our reality is how we view ourselves, right? So in the same way that our relationships aren't transactional, we ourselves are not transactional. That means whatever we do cannot add to our salvation or lose our salvation in that case. So we're talking about witnessing, I'm focusing on the adding, right? Because that's oftentimes the wrong motive. I'm going to go out on Thursday nights because then I know I'm one of those Christians. <laughs> right? And again, we see this in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so being, in a, being a new creation, what does that mean? That means we're not bound by the laws in the Old Testament anymore. I've come to find this phrase of we get to, not have to. We get to follow Christ, right? We get to pray. We don't have to pray. We get to read Scripture. We don't have to read Scripture. We get to come to church. We don't have to come to church. But it's in that heart that we do it, right? We are now free in Christ. So therefore, we get to do these things. Now we have to anymore. That's why we're doing all these things, of these means of grace. We don't have to do them because then of themselves, they become our God. We get to do these things to see and know and experience God. Titus 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But what did the grace do, does for us? It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, right? We just read that. And godly lives in the present age. Man. That's our new reality. We are a new creation in Christ. Therefore, we get to, not have to. We don't view ourselves with Christ as transactional. <laughs> what good news. Let's move into my third point of the responsibility that we do not deserve. Verses 18 through 20. It says in verse 18, all this is from God. Yeah. Again, if we fought on our own end, lived in our own creation that we want to, we would go to death. So of course it all has to be from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So what we see here, right, is that God is now entrusting with us right now what he did in the beginning. He is not only in the beginning, is maybe a little bit easier. He allowed for an innocent people to reflect a holy and loving God. Now he's reflecting a sinful people to reflect his holy and loving nature. <laughs> right? Like, how does that make sense? Like, how can sinful people now reflect a holy and loving God? But that's our responsibility. That, that's what he says. He calls us ambassadors for Christ. A complete side note. I know I'm picking on Riley a lot, but if you really want to talk Riley's love language, just mention politics or ambassadors, foreign policies. Yeah, anyway, okay. Reading it back in. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so God has, has given us and invited us into this ministry now of, of reconciliation. Right, we, we, are, we are now ambassadors. We stand as God's image bearers, God's reflection to a sinful and broken world to reconcile or to be made right. We are supposed to be the means through that. And I hope you guys see as we have now gotten to here of being ambassadors for Christ, there was a whole lot of love and a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of God's doing to just even get back here. So when we think of sharing the gospel, it shouldn't be drudgery. We get to do this, right? Man. But in this, there are three main things that makes this so much sweeter. And how even being able to share the gospel and being able to be a witness and reflect God is in of itself a grace. But now how we get to do that is also a grace. The first is that God gives us the message. We can't be image bearers, like witnesses again, if we don't know the message. But we have to know the message to be witnesses. Like, are you guys tracking with that? Like, to be witnesses, we have to know what it means to be a witness. So that means we've experienced and we know and we are trusting in Jesus. So since we are now witnesses, we can now just share that because that's what we're living in. We're just sharing our lives. Right? God has given us the message. We don't have to come up with anything new. It can be as simple, again, as Jesus saves, or this sermon, or even more complicated. Right? Or even more in-depth, I mean. Not complicated. And so, in and of itself, God gives us the message to now be witnesses. The second is that he gives us the authority, Right? So again, the message is that he entrusts us in verse 19 to the message of reconciliation. But we already know it. The second is that we are ambassadors for Christ. Right? So ambassadors, if you aren't you know, well-versed in your politics, like me, and I'd like this out, you know, an ambassador is someone that has the authority of a different kingdom. You're living in another kingdom, but have the authority of the one that you're representing. Right? So we're living in this world, the one of darkness, as we talked about all the way back in Colossians 1, but we know by what we said about 
restoration, that we are a part of this kingdom now. And so if we are ambassadors, that means we have the authority of Christ with us too. We are talking about a king that we are representing here on this world. Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? And so now there, go for and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus has all authority, gives it to us, and, and Paul is saying the same thing here. We're ambassadors, so we're representing a king. And he has given us his authority to go and proclaim the message that we already know. Christ and him crucified. The last bit of grace, which I think is even more powerful than maybe all of these, which all of these of himself are, but is that the power of the gospel God gives us, the power of our message, the power of God he gives. Right? Again, read with me again in the, in the middle of verse 20. God making his appeal through us. So he gives us the message. He gives us the authority. And he also gives us the power. 1 Corinthians 1, 27-28. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Right? He gives power, us power, to share his gospel and to bring change. But it's ultimately through him and by him. And so what does this mean for us also? Like as we're sharing the gospel, as we're bearing witness. Well, all it means is that we just have to be faithful and love him. Right? To be a witness means that we are sharing the message under his authority, in his power, by being faithful and loving him. Because again, how did this all start out? For the love of God compels us or controls us or consumes us. And how do I know that all we have to do is be faithful and love God? Because it, there's a story in the Bible that I love to point to that shows that that's all we need to do. Jonah, chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. Right, if you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, you can ask Jonah about it after this. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, sorry but the story of Jonah right is that he's running away from God God's calling him telling him to go to these people that are barbaric right they hate Christian or they hate Jews they, they you know they don't want anything to do with the, with the God of the Israelites he doesn't want to go he's like don't send me there after getting swallowed by a well and ending up there in Jonah chapter 3 verses 4 through 5 this is what happens. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. In verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and put on a sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. <laughs> Scripture does not record a beautiful gospel message. There's not mention about how God is loving, God is kind, right? Does that mention, the scriptures not mention of the coming Messiah. 
all it shows is, is Jonah going to where God led him, having faith in him, and proclaiming. And what happened? The power of God was unleashed. So again, it's not in how great you can share the gospel. It's not in how long you can hold a Bible study or how much you pray before it. Right? It's about trusting and depending in the work of God and loving him for it. Because, man, once we see people come to be saved and we realize, again, that is God's doing, we can't help but love them more. He's saved another sinner. How, how is there even a way at all? And that in and of itself is a means of grace. And I just want to encourage you guys, like, like, we shouldn't just be okay with just knowing a little bit about the gospel. We can only comfort to what we know and experience. Right? The more we experience of our own sin, the more that we now love Christ, is the more that we can now comfort in other people. That's why I don't see a five-year-old Christian giving marriage counseling advice, right? Or leading Alcoholics Anonymous or something, right? Or like, like he knows Jesus, but he doesn't know the depth needed to lead that. It comes with time and being with Jesus and sitting at his feet. That's why we still grow in knowing and loving and, and wanting to know more of Jesus. So that leads me into my fourth point. Um, the encouragement to press on. Man. Verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this passage, right, started essentially with the gospel, and it ends with the gospel. The gospel is what starts us, the gospel is what we press on towards. So this encouragement that Christ is the only one who can take our sin has to be where we remind ourselves, especially while sharing the gospel. We have to remind ourselves it is God who saves, not us. I asked my uh, fiance if I could share this story, but there was uh, maybe a couple months ago. Um, she came, she like, called me on her drive back from work, um, and she was really upset. You could tell she was, she'd been crying. And, uh, and, one, and, and she's an ICU nurse in, in a hospital in Montgomery. Um, and she said that one of her patients had died. She hadn't had this chance to share the gospel with her. I mean, how real and true is that in our own lives? How often we beat ourselves up? that we didn't share the gospel with our best friend that doesn't know Christ today when we could have. We didn't take every opportunity to leverage the gospel, right? And what I told her was like, praise be to God that it wasn't, that wasn't, because, it wasn't because of you that he didn't know Christ. <laughs> praise be to God that he is the one that saves. He is the one that takes our sin. He became the curse so that we might know the blessing. He became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. Right? We don't have to. We get to. So again, just to kind of wrap it all up. Right? Just to wrap it all up. Is that it's a cycle. 
right? It's, it's theology in action, witnessing. What we love about God and what we know about God, the depth of what we know about God, is what will press us on to know about ourselves and what reality to live in. Are we going to live in the reality that we are ambassadors for Christ? Told to go proclaim a message and be the image bearers that we were supposed to be in the beginning? And then as we do that, we can't help but love God more because we can't do it on our own. We have to depend on him. So our love becomes an even greater reality. Martin Luther um, had this quote that I just love. It says, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. Yes, we are saved only by loving Christ. But that faith is what causes us to now go and bear witness. That faith is the same thing that leads us to a body of Christ. And that faith is in Christ, and we are in Christ. Because Christ has died, we can now live. Because he was last, we can be first. Because he became the curse, we can receive the blessing. I just want to close on this final passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. It says this. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance, through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity trusting in Jesus, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, what I was even able to do was in of itself a grace. Lord, I love you more for it. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that um, the message, the gospel, the message of reconciliation, how we can be made right with God by trusting in Christ. And my brothers and sisters would do it not because they have to, but because we get to. Because you first loved us, and now we can love you. Love beats the unlovable, and life defeats death. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are faithful. Help lead us to those around us, whether it's overseas um, or changing diapers, preaching on a Sunday, or working in a hospital. Where we can be your witnesses to bring forth your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's your holy question we pray. Amen.